Hey everyone, this is Jani. We're gonna get to our latest episode in a minute. But first, we wanted to do something we haven't done yet, which is ask you for a little help. Working Class Heroes is an independent media collective by and for working people of color in New York City. And everything we have done has come out of our own broke-ass pockets. It's a labor of love, but it's not sustainable unless we get a little support from our listeners. We've started a GoFundMe campaign with a goal of raising $6,000. That would reimburse us for our past expenses and set us up to grow and become a stable and sustainable project. We understand if you can't chip in, but if you can, even if it's a small amount, then please go to GoFundMe.com, search for Working Class Heroes, and follow the instructions to make a contribution. Thank you so much, as always, in solidarity. to Working Class Heroes Radio, a show by working people for working people in New York City. My name is Khadija, one of your hosts tonight. And I'm Mel Gonzalez, your other host for the night. Thank you for joining us. During the past few weeks, we've covered the reopening of schools here in New York City and nationwide. Tonight, we dive deeper into this topic as teachers and staff have begun returning to school buildings and the staggered reopening for students has started. We'll be interviewing educators Trina Davis and Marilena Marchetti. But first, here are Lupita and Julian with headlines. There's a new app on the market, promising to deliver jobs at a time of intense economic insecurity. Those who sign up with CIVIL, spelled C-I-V-V-L, would be paid to evict tenants from their homes. CIVIL was created by developer OnCall, which focuses on making app programs for side jobs, like cleaning houses, mowing the lawn, and other small chores. Despite there being an eviction moratorium across the country, landlords are doing whatever they can to evict tenants during the pandemic. And with an app like Civil, they may have an easier time doing it. Civil makes no attempt to hide their market strategy of exploiting people who are desperate for jobs to use them against other desperate people who cannot pay their rent. The outlet Vice broke this story on September 21st and quoted the Chicago-based Autonomous Tenants Union in their response to the release of the civil app. The Autonomous Tenants Union got right to the point by saying that the mere existence of an app like Civil, quote-unquote, is a frank admission that our housing system is predicated on violence. On Thursday, September 17th, New Yorkers trying to cross the Brooklyn or Queensboro Bridge were met with a sea of yellow cabs blocking the way across. The New York Taxi Workers Alliance, representing more than 20,000 taxi drivers across the city, organized the action, demanding immediate debt relief for their members who are forced to pay thousands of dollars every month to maintain their taxi medallions. A report by the Taxi and Limousine Commission found that taxi ridership was down 90% as a result of the pandemic devastating an industry riddled with crisis, debt, and exploitation of its largely immigrant workforce. According to Forbes magazine, who reported this story on September 17th, 
the percentage of the union's drivers who have either struggled to afford food or could not afford food amid the pandemic hit 83%, and nearly 40% of the union's drivers contracted COVID-19 or lived with someone who tested positive for the virus. In environmental news, a new report by Oxfam International states that the richest 1% of the population contributes more than double the number of carbon emissions than the poorest half of the entire human population. A new report by Oxfam International states that the richest 1% of the population contributes more than double the number of carbon emissions than the poorest half of the entire human population. The report titled Confronting Carbon Inequality states that even though the pandemic's lockdown across the world has contributed to a sharp fall of carbon emissions in 2020, the climate crisis continues to grow. According to the report, the richest 10% accounted for over half of the emissions added to the atmosphere between 1990 and 2015. The richest 1% were responsible for 15% of emissions during this time. More than all of the citizens of the European Union and more than twice that of the poorest half of humanity. It seems unlikely that governments across the world will sanction the rich over this. In the meantime, it will be the poorest segments of humanity who will suffer the greatest climate catastrophes across the world. The long-fought struggle over the future of Brooklyn neighborhood Sunset Park came to an end with a victory for community residents. Industry City, the developer who has spent years and billions of dollars renovating warehouse-styled buildings on Brooklyn's waterfront, wanted to expand their project, but to do that required rezoning the area. Community residents pushed back with a campaign to shut down the rezoning process. Industry City promised to remake the industrial sector into high-end retail, luxury hotels, and office space, promising 20,000 jobs in the process. But residents of Sunset Park argued that those jobs wouldn't be for current community members, but for the future gentrifiers who came in the wake of Industry City's expansion. The day the rezoning was canceled, community members celebrated their victory. Here are some sounds from that celebration. Mayor de Blasio has delayed the full reopening of schools numerous times after facing ongoing opposition from parents and teachers who threatened to strike over the reopenings last month. However, school buildings partially reopened in early September for professional development and blended learning ahead of the plan to reopen schools in October. Since then, there have been over 100 new cases reported in schools throughout the city. On September 15th, over a dozen teachers at Intermediate School 230 in Jackson Heights, Queens, and other schools across the city staged a walkout, refusing to enter the buildings after school officials failed to report a new case of COVID-19 infections among their staff. Kevin Prosen, a teacher at IS 230 and a member of MORE, 
the movement of Ragnophile educators, spoke with me about the action and what teachers expect in the coming weeks. This is what he had to say. Uh, we came to school. We had about 30 staff members outside. We picketed. Um, and then since the test and trace people had still not shown up by the time we got to work, we basically decided that we would not enter the building. So it was interesting because people who participated in the workout, which is, I guess, what we're calling these actions now, where we work outside the building and refuse to enter, uh, you know, a lot of them were people who were kind of newer to the union. They were maybe untenured. They were people who had not typically been super involved. Uh, but on October 1st, students come back, and I think we can expect the um, – the infection and positive positivity rates for COVID to go up when that happens, especially since indoor dining is reopening around the same time. Uh-huh. And we already have documentation of certain neighborhoods uh, in New York where the test positivity rate is already up over 4%. Lastly, we return to the Black Lives Matter movement and its fight against police brutality. On Wednesday, September 23rd, millions of people who chanted justice for Breonna Taylor were angered to hear that out of the three cops accused of killing Taylor, only one, Brett Hankinson, would be indicted, not for Taylor's death, but for three charges of wanton endangerment. In advance of the expected protest, Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher declared a state of emergency for Louisville Wednesday morning. On Thursday, Fisher extended the 72-hour countywide curfew through the weekend, continuing the trend by mayors across the country of squelching the democratic right to assemble and people's right to free speech against police brutality and state inaction. Protests across the country have once again erupted, demanding justice for Breonna Taylor and sharpening the divide between mayors and protesters over police reform. On Friday morning, Attica Scott, the sole black woman state representative in the Kentucky Capitol, was released after being arrested Thursday night, charged with rioting and unlawful assembly. That same morning, Taylor's family held a press conference demanding that the grand jury's full transcript be released to the public. We at Working Class Heroes Radio join our voices with millions of people across the country, insisting that justice be delivered for Breonna Taylor and her family. That's it for headlines. Back to Khadija and Mel. Incorporate student and parent co-governance in school decisions that are related to academics, safety, accountability, and funding. Reinstate funding to support schools to implement culturally responsive curriculum. Why would you sign up for your own candlelight visual? 
just to die for a nigga stop sign or a petty crime that was minuscule. Why become another name that spray painted on the corner? Why become another toe tag left at the corners? Why turn the other cheek when your opponent keep throwing punches? Why let someone brown paper bag test you, you know, like free school lunches? Why defund the teachers and applaud the killers? Why this dark skin make me a villain? Why does your mistakes always lead me to giving you forgiveness? Why does your mistakes make my life feel useless and why do you have such a hard time understanding the concept of defunding the police? For as a black woman, I am expected to fail in a world where my loudness is a sign of inferiority to white people who prefer silence to truth, too sensitive for the acid dripping from my tongue and too weak to show the unapologetic way I walk. Strut as if my legs were words in these streets were lines I leave full sympathy on. We are taught to box ourselves, erase what our paths have written, and in those boxes formulated to make sure that we are never liberated of the caskets our people fall in. One, two, three, four, and down go a few more and slide, slide, slippery slide. Up goes the flag of black pride as I defy your frail views of me and let black womanhood empower me. to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming on WBAI.org. That was a clip of excerpts from a recent student-led rally in Prospect Park. First, you heard the Bathala Percussion Ensemble followed by a reading of student-created demands for the reopening of schools, followed by poet Drew Drake and ending with performers from Vibe Theater. For more from the Coalition of Student Organizations, you can follow them at at Students Breaking the Silence. So Mel, I know you've worked as a teacher in the past. Um, I just wanted to ask what are your feelings and concerns for students, educators, and for families in this time? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I've been hearing a lot is the way that politicians talk about the we need to reopen schools in part in order to, um, as a benefit for for working class folks. And, it, you know, it, it, it's it's frustrating because it's it's so clear that the, the only response that politicians have is talking about we need to restart the economy and people just need to, the, the, the primary focus is getting people back to work. And especially with some of the specific plans that the mayor has put out um, in terms of students coming in, work, going to school two or three days a week, it's also really out of touch with, with the kinds of workplaces that people actually work in where they don't really have control over their own schedule. So the idea of sending them back for two or three days it's unclear what parents are supposed to do um, in order to be able to, to actually fix that. And so it's really out of touch anyway with with the kind of like the lack of power that that working class people have in their in their workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And just to fill the picture out a little bit more, um, 
you know, already we know that 100 New York City school buildings have already reported a positive case of uh, COVID-19. Um, and, you know, when we think about New York City public schools as a whole, we're talking about 1.1 million school ch- children, 75,000 teachers, and 2,500 school buildings and early childhood centers. And, you know, that's that's a scale that's almost unimaginable. And yet, um, you know, they're going ahead with these plans. And the folks who are saying um, that working class families want to send their families back, their kids back to school, um, there's, they're kind of posing in this way that, you know, parents want to send their kids back to school so they can go back to work. But But it's like, they want to go back to work only because, you know, they need to support their families. And the bottom line is um, they, they don't have the support in this time that they need to make it in this pandemic. And it would be nice if, um, you know, decisions were based on everyone's safety instead of saying that all these decisions are going to be based on their exploitation and use as workers in this economy. Definitely. And I think it's it's scary seeing the way that the mayor has changed his his mind already two times, um, kind of pushing back the reopening for, for in-person instruction. And it's clear that, one, they weren't prepared. They didn't really have a good plan. And the plan wasn't really in touch with what teachers and parents um, felt was necessary. Um, and that lack of foresight has really, and that lack of kind of, you know, really listening and, and understanding that, people know what they need um, most has led to kind of like last minute um, changes in when the reopening was going to happen, which obviously is again, for people who, who don't have the luxury to really be able to plan out their, their work schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, it's so, you know, intensely frustrating for people to all of a sudden say, Oh, never mind, All the plans you made, forget about it. Um, we're not going to open schools again for another few weeks. Um, that's, it's, it's, you know, just another way in which you, you can tell that the mayor and, and people in power really are not listening to working class people. Yeah, exactly. It, like they're not listening and, and they're very disconnected and removed from them. Um, yeah, and I think we actually have a clip of some students now who are speaking for themselves. It is no coincidence that New York City uh, is reopening its schools for in-person learning when New York City is also one of the most segregated, militarized, over-police school systems in the country. We really need to bridge these struggles. They're so necessary. When schools reopen, what's going to be powered on is not just the classroom lights and the school radiators, but also the metal detectors, right? The x-rays. Metal detectors represent some of the worst racial disparities in New York City schools, but are one of the least talked about. There is so much emphasis on admissions policies around school safety agents, all these other aspects of the school to prison pipeline, that we also forget that young people are having to go through airports style security every day on their way to school. One in two black high school students go through metal detectors, right? Let that sink in. When we think about half, right? That means if you see uh, black high school students who are right here in the park, right, that we've been celebrating and breaking bread with uh, for the past few hours, one in two of them, odds are, go through metal detectors compared to one in three Latinx students compared to 
one in seven white or Asian students. It makes no sense why private schools, you know, uh, can just be perfectly safe without metal detectors, right? Uh, I, but for some reason, it's schools in the HUD that are consistently marked as dangerous because it's a mythology that's been created, right? That more policing equals more safety, right? That if we have more cops on our streets, more equipment, more guns, more security systems, that just make things more safe. But the way we see it, right, is that if a, if a student brings say a weapon to school, right? And it gets picked up by a metal detector. We already failed them, right? They, The fact that they even brought the weapon to school in the first place, we already failed. You see, metal detectors, x-rays, they address symptoms and they criminalize and punish people for those symptoms. But it doesn't actually address the root causes of what safety is. That was another student activist um, from the from the protest two weeks ago, it was from Youth Activist Youth Allies Organization. You can follow them at uh, Yaya Network on Instagram. And, you know, when I was there at that protest, I thought it was really amazing how they linked together the struggle to ensure a safe reopening with the larger and, and ongoing struggle about policing in schools. And one of the larger themes I hear and I heard a lot at that protest is what the notion of safety, how the notion of safety is always imposed on students and families from the outside, uh, kind of like outside definitions of safety and, and leading to increased levels of surveillance. Uh, we're going to turn to a music break right now. And after that, um, we'll have Danny coming in um, with an interview with Trina and Marilena. Um, so stay tuned after the music break. Thanks, listeners. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. That was Mon Laferte and Gaina's Platata. And now to Danny. Hey, thank you, Khadija. So we've been talking about the reopening of New York City schools throughout the show. During headlines, we ran an interview with a teacher. You just heard from an amazing student. And now we want to turn to some important voices in education that we don't hear enough from. Our guests tonight are Trina Davis and Marilena Marchetti. Trina is a paraprofessional at PS261 in Brooklyn, and Marilena is an occupational therapist at a number of schools in Brooklyn. Paras and occupational therapists, they work with students who have special needs and often require more individual attention. 
And remote learning has definitely posed some challenges for these students. And yet Trina and Marilena, like many of their coworkers, still believe that reopening schools is a bad idea and they've been organizing around that. So I think it's really important to hear their perspective. So we're so happy to have y'all. Welcome, Trina and Marilena. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And so on that note, I want to begin by asking you both just about your jobs, because I think a lot of people don't know. And and Trina, I'm hoping maybe you could start. Can you just tell us about the job of being a paraprofessional? What do you do on a typical day? Even before this, did you feel like your work was sort of respected and supported by the city? Um, And since the pandemic, how how has your job been affected? Wow. Okay. The first question I'm going to answer. Um, I've been a paraprofessional for 26 years. And um, I started off in high school. And I used to be like a one-to-one, which means that like I'm basically there to babysit a child's behavior. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, make sure that they don't get out of line, you know. But now I am am at the, the school that I am. And I work with pre-K, which is so much fun, you know, and I love it. I love the kids and I love what I do. But this whole pandemic thing is, is frightening. Um, I just want to say that the schools are opening up too soon because the numbers are spiking. And I think the reasons why they are being open is because Trump promised aid. He promised aid. And so the governor and the mayor was like, okay, well, let's open the schools because if we get that aid, then we don't have to do the cuts. That's one of the reasons why I did it, why they did it. Mm -hmm. Another reason why I believe they did it is because parents are really sick and tired of their kids being home with them. (laughs) So we become like a babysitting service, you know. And who says that these parents are going back to work when uh, all unemployment is uh, yeah, it's up there in those numbers? So you just got to, you know, weigh your options. And then it's, it's, it's like he put us all in a dangerous position. But thank God I have, you know, um, medical accommodations where I can't be in the classroom. I refuse to be in the classroom. And it's just... Uh, it's scary. And it's, it's just really, really scary because you don't know who has it. And the contact tracing that they're talking about is BS because they want us to take a COVID test, but then we have to wait like two weeks for the results. By that time we could have infected the whole school, you know? So yes, it's a lot I could say, but I'm going to end it here because someone else is waiting to speak and I want to respectfully pass the mic on to them. Hey, yeah. And we're, we're going to come back to a lot of those issues you raised too. So yeah, but, but thanks, you know, um, yeah. And Marlena, again, if you just want to start by talking about what an occupational therapist uh, does normally and what, and what's happened, you know, since the pandemic. Um, yeah. So, so typically I work with students who receive special education mm-hmm. and they get, one-on-one or small group therapy with me once or a couple times a week. Um, and we work on, on skills so they can be more independent. And for younger kids, that might look like learning how to zip their coat by themselves. Um, if they're a little older, it might look like learning how to write the alphabet so their teachers can read what they're writing. Um, but what I like to do, because 
I believe my students have so many gifts that are just not even part of the school curriculum because it's so narrow. So I like to work on those skills in the context of some type of art so they can express um, themselves in, in the way that's unique and particular to them. And in the context of learning life skills, which kids aren't necessarily motivated to learn. Maybe, maybe the parents and the teachers are motivated for the kids to be independent, but they aren't necessarily motivated to that. They're, they want to play and they want to act and make jokes and make each other laugh and try new things and explore. So, um, I, I, in my, in my sort of free time, I like to make movies and in, with my kids, I like to make movies with them. And we can spend an entire year building a movie set. And when they have to put their art smock on, when it's time to paint, they have to zip it up. I have zip up art smocks, and that's how we work on life skills. Um, and we're, when we're working on coordination, um, visual motor coordination, I want them to hold the camera with two hands and follow it um, on the person who's acting. So um, I don't believe that the the DOE necessarily knows that these are the things that go into my therapy that I'm thinking on how I can support my students on multiple levels on sort of the very basic fundamental life skills level and just on kind of feeding their own um, sort of appetite for becoming themselves and activating their gifts um, and for we want to live we're all you know what hang on um, what what oh. we've been you know but we're here to show. I can stop. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll wrap with that. Oh, I wasn't. I You know, you were glitching at the very end there, but I I, I think it may have. Uh, I, I, th- I think we may have resolved it. But so, yeah, no, but that was great. I was not trying to not trying to wrap you up. Um, okay, well, so before we get more into what's happened over the last six months, I do want to take a step back, and because I think when I've spoken to educators, one of the things people keep trying people keep trying to make me understand is that. The crisis that, that the pandemic has given our schools starts with the crisis our schools had before this even happened, right? I mean, like one out of every 10 students in public schools doesn't have housing, you know, that, that our, our, our city is owed billions of dollars um, by the state. And so a lot of the issues that have come up with people having to like, you know, these ventilation issues, um, these should be issues normally. So I, I wanted to ask you all, um, each of you, and Marlena, maybe if you can go first this time, um, in your experience, how did the underfunding of schools, how does that affect your job and the way schools were even before uh, the pandemic hit? Um, yeah, I think it's the underfunding, but it's also the priorities. So what, what, what limited funding we have, what insufficient funding we have, it's spent on the wrong things. Um, and the wrong, some of the wrong things are tests, standardized testing. And the other wrong thing is administrative waste. Um, we had a, a small schools movement under uh, Michael Bloomberg's tenure and where you would have one administration, administrative team working in a school building. Now you've got sometimes three, four um, administrator, administrative teams in a school building occupying space that could be used um, for special education services, which quite often um, are administered in hallways. I myself have provided occupational therapy on the floor in the lobby vestibule where people are walking in and out. Um, so, so there's just inadequate infrastructure for our students and investment in infrastructure. And then there's um, the testing regime incentivizes the wrong thing. 
And it relies on sort of coercive carrot and stick forms of behavior management and control to get students to actually do things that are not inherently motivating and do not actually activate their innate um, desire to learn and develop. Um, so the, it's a question of, of priorities, uh, lack of respect for our students and what they're capable of. <clears throat> Cool. Thank you. That was that was incredibly informative. Thank you, uh, Trino. Do you want you want to add to that? Well, in your experience, how, how did how did the underfunding of schools or lack of priorities impact your, your work? Well, I feel like the under well, Jesus. <laughs> I you know I've been raising a lot of questions around this issue, especially when it comes to our black and brown kids these are the last kids to get any type of resources, any. Uh, they got iPads that didn't work. They, uh, the test, the test that they're given, why are our kids taking these tests? A lot of kids, well, you know, when you go to other neighborhoods that have, you know, the more monetary establishments, their parents opt them out of those tests, opt them out. So I'm just trying to figure out why is it so important for our black and brown kids to take these tests that are not designed for them? Really? Also, oh, also. Go ahead. That was a dramatic pause. My bad. <laughs> yeah, I had to like really pause. Yeah, also, yeah. I just wanted to backtrack because I wrote something down so that I don't lose my focus. Uh, I really feel that the young lady and myself, we're underappreciated. And when I say underappreciated, it's like they make these decisions without even consulting us. But then when they make these decisions, the first thing they want us to do is hurry up and sign. You know, it's like it, it puts us in a situation where we don't even have a chance to read what this is that you want us to sign. And it's like, we get no bonuses, no any of that. Just go to work and do your job, and that's just it. And I'm done on that area. So much to pick up on what y'all are saying. But first, you are listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming at WBAI.org. If you've just joined us, we're talking about the school reopening and a lot of other stuff as well with two education workers in Brooklyn, Trina Davis, a paraprofessional at PS261, and Marilena Marchetti, an occupational therapist at a number of schools in Brooklyn. Um, I want to really follow right up on what you were talking about, Trina, um, because, you know, if you listen to Mayor de Blasio and also Chancellor Carranza, they often talk about this push to reopen schools as if it is looking out for the black and brown students in particular, you know, <laughs> that they are, um, that, that, that they're doing it, especially for the kids who got the most needs, the kids that are, that, that are the most depressed. And yet both of you all work with many of the city's most vulnerable students and you're against this plan to reopen the schools right now. So Trina, I want to, I want to start with you as you just were talking about as an African-American educator, how do you respond to this idea that, that the schools need to reopen right now, especially for black and brown public school families. I get really emotional with this specific because I know with the schools opening that we're going to lose a lot of black and brown people. And it's all for dollar signs. 
And I just, I strongly, strongly feel that this is a huge mistake of opening up the schools during the pandemic. Huge mistake. I just, I, I, I go back to when the pandemic first happened and we didn't understand it. We were lost. It was like, what is going on here? The DOE have offered no type of counseling for a lot of us that has lost family, friends, coworkers. They didn't give that to us. So guess what? We're still traumatized. They're not even helping us deal with the trauma. On top of the trauma that Black people and brown people go through every day. This is another added trauma. So I'm so against this situation. It's it's frightening. It's scary. Ah, I yeah. That's I, I can't. No, thank you. Um, and Marlena, in particular, I wanted to ask you. You know, one another aspect of the push to reopen is people talking in particular about students who've got special needs, you know, uh, the kind of students that you work with all the time. And so, and you know that, that there are real challenges for these students with remote learning. So how do you respond to the idea that in particular for kids with special needs, we need to reopen the schools now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Before I answer that question, I just, Trina, when you were talking, you just made me think about, you know, how, billionaires have actually made even more billions in this pandemic. So when you say that we're going to lose people of color to COVID for dollar signs, I just think about who's making that money. Um, And it's disgusting. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I'm definitely against schools reopening, but since, you know, since school closed in April, I understood that our special education learners, our English as a new language learners, students in temporary housing and other special student populations, they were going to suffer the most. And that when it was time for us to go back, we needed a plan that centered their experience and their academics for this year. Um, And I was totally in favor of prioritizing special education students Mm -hmm. to receive in-person services like OT and to receive other in-person opportunities for socializing and having academic support, but not as part of moving the entire system into motion and putting everyone in the city really at risk. Um, because the, it's not just about any individual, the risk. It's, it's about the entire city. When you're on a train going to and from work for an hour like I am, and the train is packed, and then you're in a building on a computer all day talking to people, it's like, it makes you really think, that the mayor doesn't care about kids with special needs. The mayor cares about spiting parents, teachers, and students who have proven that we make change when we come together and we protest and we collectively develop a set of demands that we're all aligned with because they reflect our collective to see that happen. And it actually rather put the entire city at risk and see wave of COVID so that we're forced to go into buildings to do remote work or to do work that can just as easily be done from home. 
So that being said, yes, I, I'm, I, I do, I do know that kids in special ed, um, can benefit disproportionately from in-person services at this time and they should be centered. And it's unfortunate that the city hasn't come up with a plan, which they easily could have to do that. You know, for instance, I could have been assigned to a local school and walked to that school to provide services with students. They could have staggered um, opening and closing times. So we aren't in on rush hour with other people. Um, essential workers should be either getting hazard pay so they can afford childcare or other ways to um, help have their children stay at home. And the rest of parents need to be paid to stay home safely so they can help um, support their students' learning needs at this time remotely with limited in-person opportunities. Um, and it, it could have been done, but that they chose not to. Wow. Thank you. Can I Thank add you something? Oh, please go ahead. Um, in the beginning, when I started protesting, I've been protesting for 10 years, but um, the whole George Floyd thing has just opened up several ports. And one of the things was the defunding of the police. And the reason why I was just so big on that is because why do they need $6 billion? For what? And why are they not taking a portion of that money and putting it to education? And then on top of that, they tell us that we got to report to work with no plan. So you got to see how stressed out the coworkers or the teachers are trying to put everything in motion. And it's like what this mayor is doing to us is just so unfair. But he doesn't care because it's all about pleasing the parents. Nobody has spoken to us to ask us, how do we feel? And then uh, Carranza, I was on a Zoom with him where he muted a parent who had special needs and she just was talking out of concern for her kid. And he just didn't want to hear it. So like this whole system is just corrupt if you ask me. So I want to thank you. I want to, we're really running out of time before we get to callers. And and there's one more question I definitely want to get in. And it's hard. I want to ask you both to try to be quick in your answer, even though that's probably not fair because it's a big question. Um, But I want to make sure we try to get a little time for calls, which is Trina, you just talked about that you've been protesting, especially in the last year. And I do think as horrible as this year has been, one of the really important things that's happened is that education workers and parents have been organizing in a way New York City hasn't seen in a long time. And it's really thanks to you all that the schools shut down when they did, which actually, you know, authorities have said have saved tens of thousands of lives. Many more thousands would have been saved had you been listened to earlier. Um, But at the same, and and that, that organizing has continued into the fall and it's led to the delay in the opening. At the same time, a lot of educators have been frustrated with aspects of their union, United Federation of Teachers, for not getting enough input from members, especially when it came to the deal they announced with Mayor de Blasio to delay the reopening of schools for one week when a lot of a lot of members felt like there wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, guaranteed about what was going to change in one week. So I know we don't have a lot of time for this, but I think it's, it's just so important to to, um, to get it out there. I was hoping that if you can just talk, talk about some of the successes or, or, or challenges or both that you've faced in this organizing or maybe a little bit of what you've learned. I'll give you an option, you know, pick, pick one or two things because we don't have a lot of time. But Trina, if you if you can go first and then and then we'll go to Marilena. Oh, well, definitely. Um, I want to talk about this, this Michael, this union person. Um, you know, he's very contradictive. You know, I've been holding up this pig sign because that's how I feel. 
and listen, he's so contradicted because one minute he's saying like, oh, if the schools are not safe, he's like, we're going to strike. The next minute he's bargaining with the same people. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to strike. But what we're going to do is I, uh, you know, I delay the opening of schools. U of T is looking at him like, I thought you was fighting for us. You're not even fighting for us. It's like you're fighting against us. And this whole blended learning thing is a mess. It's a mess. It's, they put us in, it's like they threw us to the walls. They was like, okay, you're going to go to the school, but then there's no plans, none. So we have to figure it out. So it's, 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 if you ask me, it's not beneficial for me. It's not beneficial for anybody because safety is first. Right. And Marlena, how about you? What's your response? Um, yeah. uh, Yeah. Everything Trina said, our, our union president is more aligned with, um, our mayor who is interested in protecting the, the folks who give him clout and funding, um, than the than protecting the lives of his own members. So it's this whole moment has been a really rude awakening of just how hostile the so-called progressive forces in this city are to actual um, democracy on the grassroots level. We have a mayor that champions at the ballot box. Everyone, you guys really need to vote. I encourage you. Okay. We're, we're democratically telling you in so many other ways what's best for us right now. And you have pulled out all the stops to, to suppress that and get your way. But despite that, we have won some things. And they don't feel like wins because they've been so disorienting and demobilizing. And they were never handed to us like a gift that we got. But we got 50% of parents to go remote. And that's not because the mayor and the chancellor told them to, because it wasn't safe. That's because Trina, myself, folks on this call and folks listening said, "Uh, do not die for dollar signs that aren't going into any of our community's pockets. We got a victory that parents are staying safe and staying home. Now we have to make sure that they're paid to stay home. The other victory is the delayed reopening. It's terrible. Like Trina said, we have no plans. All the time that they spent to, to not give us what we wanted could have been spent on developing a remote plan that actually worked for kids. So now we have a phase reopening, which is a victory, and we don't even know what we're doing. Um, the, other, the other victory is that um, folks can work remotely on days when they do not see students. It's too little too late, but it's because of our work that we got even that. We are getting crumbs here because everyone in power, including our union president, is so hostile to just life of regular working people. You guys bring it. You came with the fire. uh, Thank you. Thank you so much, Trina Davis. Burn it down, Trina. That's mine. So look, we're going to take... We're going to take a quick music break. And when we come back, we don't have a lot of time, but we do want to hear from you. What questions, what opinions do you have for Trina and Marilena about the school opening? We want you to give <laughs> us a ring at 212-209-2827. Let me say that again. I got a little distracted. We want you to give us a ring at 
212-209-2877. All right. And again, that number is 212-209-2877. And I'll set a fire down below. I hang it up when you say sorry, didn't know. Probably got a year, 10 to go, so let's go. I don't really know how to go slow. Just got done walking in the snow. In the wrong mode, you open and close, you know, holes, no go. This whole world's a skip mode, built to the brim like get mode. When you think it don't get mode, low, with live both and the sticks on flow. All the pressures born of lies, I don't make the rules, I'm just one guy. I'll do respect to getting spit on, how respect is now defined. I'm looking for truth, but you got screwed and drank the Kool Aid. There's a line, but at the Directly at the edge of a mass grave that's their design. Funny fact about a cage that never built for just one group. So when that cage is done with them and you still pour it, come for you. The newest lowest on the totem will golly gee, you have been used. You have to build a death machine that down the line will kill you too. Pseudo Christians, y'all are different. All right, welcome back. That was Run the Jewels' new track, Walking in the Snow. Uh, we have time for a call to do a call or two. I don't know if we've gotten there yet, so please. Call, give us a call, 212-209-2877 to talk to our guests, Trina Davis and Marlena Marchetti, two public school educators who, who work especially with special needs students. Um, while we're waiting for, uh, for calls, I just there, there's so much to follow up on. And, and Gio, definitely interrupt me um, you know, if, if and when we get a call. Um, but I guess I want to just... Um, just, just, just ask y'all as, as a bit of a follow-up, you know, we can talk about like the issue of resources and funding or whatever, but specifically like what, what do you think people, if people want to support um, educators and what you're talking about, like how can people, what, what are some of the demands that, that people should know about to support you in? Do you have, do you have thoughts about what people can do? Um, yeah. I didn't really prep you guys for this one. I'm just springing it on you, but so I don't know if one of y'all wants to take a, take a crack at this one first. Um, one thing people can do is get involved with the New York City School Workers Solidarity Campaign. Um, it's kind of been a hub for parents, teachers, and students to sort of centralize some of the organizing that's going on, and also just advocates of a, a reopening only when it's safe, and they have a Facebook page. So people can Google it and literally just go to a meeting and find out how to plug in. That's that's wonderful. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I actually do now have a couple a couple calls on hold, so we want to um want to bring in our first caller. Hi, hi guys. Hey, welcome to Working Class Heroes. What's your name? Hi, this is George from New Jersey. How are you? Hey, George. Cool. Hey. Uh, what do you got to say? Uh, I just got to say that you know I like many other people in the uh, essential category. I've been working ever since this Corona thing has gone on, and you know most of us don't have the you know. Don't have the PPE because it was all you know kept for the uh, first aid people and all of that, the nurses and everything else. Do you talk to your people like in your uh, cities? Do they have meetings with the PTA boards and everything else and explain to them that they have to go to work? And why are the teachers any different from anybody else? That everybody else has to go to work, but the teachers are some kind of special people that have to be protected, and the nurses have to be protected. But all the essential people that have to really go to work have to really go to work. But all the uh, people that have pensions, all the people that have uh, you know. Uh, our public servants supposedly are always protected, are always the ones that are favored, you know, but, but are they, you know what I'm saying? I mean, 
where are we getting this pandemic from anyway? I don't see anybody dying. Everybody says people are dying. I've been in the hospital multiple times. I haven't seen any hospital that's full. Well, I mean, hang, we hang on, Jerry. So I think, um, I don't know about that last part, but I think that because I've seen plenty of people dying. But the, the question about um, what about, you know, p- people saying, well, I have to go to work. What makes teachers different? I think that's a real question. It's an important one. I don't know if either of y'all want to, uh, want, want to take that up. I think, I think it's a real valid, valid question that, that has to be addressed. I can jump in and say something. Sure, go ahead, Marlena. Um, I, I mean, I think all workers should be paid to stay home. And I support and stand in solidarity. I'm just working for, you know, in my corner of the world, I, you know, I am unionized. So I do have a level of protection that I believe all workers deserve and should have. I support Amazon workers who are, who are retaliated against and threatened for going on strike. Um, grocery store workers. Y'all deserve hazard pay. I will march and protest for you or to have people not even enter the store. We will deliver your food. We'll bring it out. I mean, the problems are so pervasive and widespread with how workers in every sector are being treated. I don't think teachers are special. I think all workers are special and they actually deserve respect and to be paid to stay home safely or given hazard pay, period. Cool. So we're going to take one more caller. and then, Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yes, yes, caller, welcome. Uh, what's your name? And, and, and tell us your question. Hi, it's Russell. And I'd like to know what the two people think about a million school children breathing their own carbon dioxide for six hours a day. And I would also like to ask if they've informed themselves about false consciousness. It's what workers are, are convinced to do things to destroy themselves. Uh this is a wasting of resources, and it's environmentally destructive. Please listen to what you said. You want to, workers should be paid to stay home. Think about that. Think about what you're saying. It's absurd. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right, Russell. Thanks. So, is it absurd to talk about workers being paid to stay home? Um, let's finish up on that on that question. I, I, think, I, I think Jeff Bezos might agree with that, and Donald Trump um, mm-hmm. might agree with that. I don't even want to address him because at the end of the day, he didn't even give me a chance to address him. So, yeah, goodbye. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> any, um, oh, okay, yeah. Any um, any final thoughts before we go, y'all? I, I, I sort of cut off Marlena when she was talking about what, what people could do um, if, they, if they wanted to show support. I don't know, I don't know if, you had a, if you had any more to add to that. Well, y'all are doing something right if you got this many haters, so prop. <laughs> I I wanted to say that the PP, the PP thing, whatever, I know that only the nurse at my school was the only person that has that. Um, What they gave, what the DOE have given the school is masks and they gave them hand sanitizer that was made from gel. Wow. Well, that's that's the truth about what's actually happening. Um, you, see, you, see, you see how they cut corners, but go ahead. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I think I think that's all we got time for. This has been such um, a great show. I really appreciate you, Trina and Marlena, coming on. Thank you for coming on Working Class Heroes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Love all right. you all. Thank you.
And a special Bye. thanks to our special thanks to our amazing producer Gio, um, our team member Yanni, who with all her great graphic promotional work. If you want to listen to more of our shows, go to wchradio.org. Um, and please consider becoming a BAI buddy in the name of Working Class Heroes. Community radio needs your support. Thank you for listening. Stay strong, New York, and as always, solidarity.